Silly, isn't it? We're going to go ahead and dismiss the, the, the kids for Children's Church if they want to meet their teachers out in the, the foyer area. And I just want to say thank you to those of you that shared um, those words this morning. I really feel like they fit so well with what I'm going to share with you today. Um, I'm going to come over here and grab a mic just in case. Um, I've been having some coughing issues, and so if I go into a coughing attack, I'm going to switch mics so that I don't have to cough into the mic as much, and so, but I'm going to believe that I'm not going to cough at all, so we're good, but, you know, better, better safe than sorry. So, today, um, you know, this idea of perception, that was a powerful picture uh, that Sandy shared with us, because I think a lot of times we get offended or we get hurt and we withdraw from people, not based on what really happened, but based on a perception. And I've been there because um, I've been on both sides of that, where I actually thought something was said or done that actually did not happen. And I've actually had other people, uh, I one time got a nasty email from someone just completely yelling at me for how terrible I acted toward this person. And I stopped as I read it and thought, I didn't do that. Like, I mean, I know I have a lot of flaws, and you could write me some nasty emails about some of them, but this one, I was like, that never happened. And so I called two other people who were in the room, and I asked them to tell me what happened, not telling them why. I just said, could you tell me what happened in the conversation that took place? And both of them heard it the way that I heard it, but this person who obviously had an offense in their heart toward me already heard it this way. And so it's so easy for us to just become offended or hurt and withdraw from people based on what we think happened instead of what really happened. And I love the word about we need to uh, draw near to each other. We need relationships in the body of Christ. Um, there are people that say, you know, I, I, I like attending that church and I want to you know, go there because I like the preaching or I like the worship, but I, I really don't need relationships. But it's not really about what we want, it's about what God wills. And in his word, you're gonna to find today and in the weeks ahead that he commands us to walk in relationship with one another. He commands it. And so whether or not we want it doesn't really matter or whether we feel like we need it doesn't matter. He calls us to do it and there are reasons for it and we're gonna walk uh, through those. And so as we start this new year, we're going to be, our huddles are going to be reading a book. And, you know, I love that. I do have extra copies of the Leadership Pain book if anybody wants a copy. Uh, but I do feel like at many times I just give you so many books. Um, you know, there are people that say, oh, I don't need to read books. I just need to read the Bible. Well, you know, if you just needed to read the Bible, then you wouldn't come to church and hear a sermon. Okay? And so I'm not saying to replace this with this. But I'm saying that this is based on this. This helps us understand this in maybe a way that we didn't see. And God gifts different people in different ways, and he gifts them with certain abilities to be able to take a biblical truth and help it make more sense to us. Because here's the thing. I don't, I don't know if you've read through this at once or twice or 50 times, but chances are you have yet to apply everything in this book to your life. And some of them... Some of the things that are in here, I bet you and I don't even realize they're there yet. And something like this can help us understand that. Now, if it's just their opinion and there's no scripture in it, then toss it. 
But if it's based on the book, then read it. And so I give you books to read to help maybe uh, help you understand. And I try to give you people that don't talk like me or don't preach like me because then it helps unlock something a little bit better for people. And so our huddles beginning January 21st, January 24th, depending on whether you're Sunday or Wednesday, are going to start reading this book. And there are copies available in the back. It's called Keep Your Love On. But before we get to Keep Your Love On, I'm going to do three sermons to prepare us for that called Getting Our Love On. Uh, Because before we keep it on, we need to make sure we have it on. Does that make sense? And so this week, I'm really going to lay a foundation for biblical relationships in the body of Christ and what the Bible has to say about it. I've got a lot of scripture, and some of it I may just have to skip over, uh, but after all, you drove all this way in the cold. I want to give you your money's worth too, and so I want to make sure that we cover a lot of that. And if you've got a Bible, go to Matthew chapter 5 and Luke chapter 6. Matthew chapter 5 and Luke chapter 6, and we're going to start in these two passages. They're actually similar passages, one from the perspective of Matthew and one from the perspective of Luke. Now, we don't know whether or not Jesus actually taught these things on more than one occasion. Chances are in three years' time, he did. And so maybe Matthew's version was one day and Luke's version was a different day. And based upon the crowd around Jesus, he probably adapted his message for the crowd he was speaking to. If I'm speaking to you, it's, I'm really comfortable doing that because I do it all the time. But when you take me out and put me in front of a group that I don't know well, uh, I have to think about who's in that room and who I need to adapt that message for. And so Jesus could have been doing that, or it could have just been the fact that Matthew heard it one way and Luke heard it another. And it wasn't like that they differ with each other. It's like Luke actually expands on it a little more. And we would expect maybe a doctor to maybe expand on things a little more than, say, a tax collector. And so, you know, I don't know. So you'll just have to figure those out. But the next two weeks, next week we're going to talk about the power of our tongue, uh, we're going to talk about how our words are uh, affecting our relationships or affecting our lives. And then the last week, we're going to talk about forgiveness. And some of these things we're going to continue to talk about in the weeks ahead as we go through the Keep Your Love On book. Um, but um, I'm just kind of setting up the series, trying to give everyone a chance to get all done with their travel and Christmas and everything before we dive into the book. And so I wanted to set it up this way. And so before we read these two passages, um, I want you to understand the word love, love is not a feeling, okay? Not in these passages. There is a Greek word or a Hebrew word for a feeling or emotional type of love. But in none of the passages we're reading today, love is that type of thing. So it's not about uh, how I feel. It's an action word. It's a, a decision. It's something that I do. And in fact, in these passages we're about to read, you're going to see that it tells us what that is or the definition of love, if you will. Um, normally, I don't put them on the screen because I want you to turn in your Bibles, but I did put them on the screen today. And so um, you can either read them off of there or you can read in your Bible, however you prefer. But in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, you have heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Now again, Jesus is not saying have warm, emotional, fuzzy feelings for your enemies, okay? So it's not going to start there. He's saying, I want you to act in a certain way towards your enemies. I want you to love them in action. And he starts by telling us, pray 
That's one way we do for those who persecute you. Because in that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. That means he provides for people that are evil, and he provides for people that are good. He blesses people who are evil, and he blesses people who are good, because he is a good father, and he gives good gifts to his children. You don't just withhold every blessing from your child when they're naughty. You, you still do things for them. You still help them out. You still care for them even when they're acting in a way that doesn't. And so if you as a good parent here on earth can do that, except Jesus calls us wicked, uh, if we do that, how much more does our Father in heaven want to do it? And in fact, Paul tells us in Romans, it's the kindness of God that brings people to repentance. It's the kindness. It's the fact that when we realize, I didn't deserve any of this, but God did it all, that's what brings us to repentance. If you only love those who love you, what reward is there for that? Think about that for a second. If you only love those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors, I love that Matthew wrote that, do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? So we've been talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and the power things that God does, but here now we're talking about what separates us from pagans is that we are perfect just as our Father in heaven is perfect. And in this definition of perfect, it's talking about how we treat people whether we love them or whether we withhold love from them, okay? So in Luke chapter 6, Luke says it this way. To those of you willing to listen, okay, because not everyone's willing to listen, but to those of you willing to listen, do, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. This is love defined. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will, be truly, you will truly be acting as children of the Most High for He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked, you must be compassionate. The New Living Translation uses the word compassionate. Many other translations use the word merciful. Same word, different definition. You need to be compassionate or merciful just as your Father in heaven is compassionate or 
merciful. And so love defined in these passages is about our treatment of people, our actions or our inactions. And the moment we come into the kingdom of God, this is the standard. The standard isn't to be better than I was yesterday. The standard isn't to be better than the church down the street or better than my friends or co-workers or other believers. The standard is to be perfect like my Father in heaven is perfect. And it doesn't depend on my ability to do it. It depends on the power of the Holy Spirit within me. And so what Jesus Jesus is saying is if you're willing to listen, okay, this isn't about right now whether or not you're going to get into heaven or not into heaven or because we get into heaven because of the blood of Jesus Christ, but the reward you will receive in heaven is based upon what you do with what he's given you. And if you are willing to listen, he says, I've put my spirit in you and he has given you the power to be perfect like me. So you can actually treat people better than they treat you. And that's the command of the word of God. Relationships are so important in the kingdom of God that almost every New Testament book talks about it. And I wish we had time to stay here all day and just look at each one individually, but we don't, so we won't. John chapter 13 says, Jesus washing his disciples' feet gets up from the table, washes their feet, and then comes back and sits down, and he says this, I am giving you a new commandment, love each other Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. So the proof that we've passed from death to life is not how many gifts of the Spirit we operate in. The proof that we've passed from death to life is not whether I tithe or how much Bible verses I've memorized or how many times I attend church services or whether I will brave the cold weather and go out in 30 below. That doesn't prove that I'm a believer or that I've passed from death to life. What proves it is how I treat people. Do I treat them the same way they treat me? Because in our world today, treating people the same way they treat you is justified. That's good. I mean, if someone's mean to you, you have the right to be mean back to them. In fact, I just read a Facebook post yesterday that said, why is it when people push my buttons to the point that I blow up at them, I'm the bad person? It's like our entire world justifies that idea that if people push my buttons and I explode, it's on them. No. No. Because we've been given the spirit to not do that. And the problem is when they push our buttons, we don't deal with it in the right way. We just keep letting it fester, 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 fester. I mean, we say that, oh, I'm forgiving it, but we didn't actually deal with it. We just pretended and ignored it. And so then we do blow up and explode. And our explosion is not someone else's fault ever. It's on us. It's always on us. Because we've been given the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome it. And so as he's in these last moments, the thing that Jesus emphasizes with them and even models for them is serving, loving, and he's about to die for them. So when he says you should love each other the way that I have loved you, how many of us have ever had to love anyone the way he's loved us? Not one of us in this room. Not one of us has been beaten, crucified, and killed yet. So we still have a ways to go. And some of us, the littlest things make us offended at others. 
I'm so glad Jesus knew where he was going and he kept his eyes on where he was going. <clears throat> we can too. We can too. We can too. So if you're like sitting here right now going, ooh, this is bad. We're, this is where we're going, okay? So you should be excited, okay? I know where we've been, but this is where we're going. When Jesus was asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? He says this. The greatest commandment is this. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And all of us would be like, yep, we'll do that. Because it's so easy to do that. I mean, it's hard because we have flesh. But God is so good. And he's so merciful. And he's so kind. And he's so, uh, just, he's God. And so, who wouldn't want to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength? But Jesus then messes it all up. Because he ties this other commandment to it. And he said, this second one is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So he basically says, everything in the Bible hinges upon these two commandments. And they're equal. And see, we like to think, well, my relationship with God is really good. But do you know what the litmus test of my relationship with God is? My relationships with people. And not just my friends or the people that are my pain partners or with me, but my enemies and how I treat them. Not how I feel about them. I mean, I get it. When your enemy walks in a room, the emotion comes. I get that. But the power of the Spirit enables us to do what is right even when we don't feel like it. Does that make sense? When we feel like isolating ourselves from people who have hurt us, the, the power of the Spirit lets us actually press in. Pray for, bless, do good instead of doing what we feel like doing. And sometimes all we feel like doing is running away and hiding from them, like in a closet. <laughs> that was good. That word really was good. You should all go back and listen to it again. It was so good. But um, perception, remember, perception. Every time someone offends you, stop and say, is this just my perception? And nine times out of ten, if you just say, I'm going to pretend that's my perception, and I'm going to move on. It'll never get brought. Sometimes people never come back and apologize to us because they didn't know they did anything wrong. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't make sense. I'm setting everyone free for the new year. This is great. Okay, so I'm going to let you in on a little secret, and only you guys in the room are going to know that because everyone else, well, unless you're watching by live stream, then you're going to know too, but um, relationships are messy. Okay? I mean, if you're married, you're going to have days where you have really heated fellowship in your home. Okay? Um, you're going to say things under your breath at times. You're going to think things that you dare not ever expose to the rest of the world. Um, and it, they're just messy. And it's, we have this illusion that you know, there's a perfect church out there. Or if we had revival, oh, if we could only have revival as a church, everyone would hug all the time and we would just always smile at each other and no one would ever get offended. And we remember we took the mask off of the Book of Acts church and we showed you that in the Book of Acts there was conflict. Peter and Paul, Paul had to rebuke Peter publicly. The, the, the one set of people were upset that their widows were being neglected over this one. And there was conflict everywhere in the early church. They just dealt with it. 
And we sometimes think, well, if there's conflict or if relationships are messy or if someone does something hurtful or if someone does something mean, the only way that you can possibly escape offense or the opportunity to be offended is to lock yourself in a room alone for the rest of your life or go to heaven. That's it. Because as long as you live on earth, you will have the opportunity to be offended at people because people are imperfect and they will act imperfect. Sometimes they will act imperfect because they're tired. Sometimes they will act imperfect because they're being pressured. And it doesn't excuse their behavior, but it does explain it. And so if you're the one acting that way, don't make excuse for it. Own it. Repent of it. Get out of it. Trust God to help you come out of it. But if it's being done to you, look for the explanation. Give people the benefit of the doubt. I'm getting ahead of myself. Galatians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5 takes these two commands that Jesus gave, and I love how he says this. You have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but do not use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. One command. Love your neighbor as yourself. The only way that's even possible is if you're loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Okay, because there ain't a person in this room or on this planet that has the ability to fulfill that commandment if they're not already fulfilling the first commandment. And that's why Paul says it. He, it's not like he's neglecting loving God, but he's saying, here's the thing. You want to know how well you're doing in loving God? This is the one commandment. And he warns this church, look, if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. Gossip and slander plague our society. It is the the society norm to put people down, to talk about when you get home from work, to talk about how everyone at work was so terrible all that day. And I know that we say we need time to vent. And I haven't worked this out yet in my salvation, but I'm going to tell you, I think we vent to the wrong person. You want to vent, get in your prayer closet and vent. But anytime you vent about someone to someone else, even if it's your spouse or your pain partner, you take the person you're venting about and you discolor them in the eyes of that other person. Every time. And even if they have wronged you and you do it, it doesn't make it right. God is not up in heaven going, you, that's okay, you were justified in that. He doesn't do it. He wants us to come up to a higher level of living, and he's given us a spirit to do it. I'm not pretending this is easy, and I'm not pretending this is going to be a lot of fun to work out, but I promise you, if we start acting like this, the world will take notice that we are true children of our Father in heaven. That's good. The Apostle Paul, in all of the epistles, kind of gives these ideas or these, the things that we should do to work in the body of Christ together. And I'm going to give you just two of them, one from the book of Ephesians. He says, as a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. So everyone in this room, if you've accepted Christ, he has called you, okay? Because you didn't come to him until he called you, okay? None of us came to him. We were his enemies. He came to us. He called us. And here's our calling. 
always, I'll, you know, they tell you never use the word always or hallelujah. <laughs> never use the word always or never. It's a bad thing. And so always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love, not your feeling, but because of your love, the love of the Father. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Now, be patient with each other, and patience is only required when someone is helping you feel impatient. Did you know that? I mean, it's easy to be patient with each other if, you know, Karen shows up on time, gets the coffee ready, and it tastes good. Then we don't have to be patient. I mean, we think we're being patient, but what if Karen's late? What if there's no coffee? What if it tastes bad? Then we have to be patient. We have to make allowance for that fault. But we mistakenly think when everything is good that we're being patient. Some of us think, you know, I don't talk to anybody through the day or, man, I had a really good week this week. I felt like the fruit of the Spirit was really evident in my life. Oh, where'd you go? Nowhere. I stayed, I stayed home every day and I just stayed in bed and read all day. Well, the fruit of the Spirit wasn't evident in your life. You just didn't have an opportunity to realize and recognize it's not evident yet. People help us do that. And we have to be patient with them. We have to make allowance for their faults. But we want to isolate ourselves from people so that we can have more fruit. Or when someone hurts us or someone slanders us, people say, oh, don't give me those cliches. You don't know what they did to me. No, you don't know what they did to him. You've lost sight of it. And those aren't cliches, they're the truth of God's word, and those are the moments that we need to cling to them. And if you don't have friends that when you start slandering someone or you start mouthing off about how terrible your life is, that won't come alongside of you, and in a pleasant way, not in a, you know, pick yourself off the ground and stop it kind of way, but in a nice way, we'll say, hey, remember what he did for you. And won't help you get some perspective. You don't have good friends. You don't have good pain friends. Because people that just keep you in that pain and pity party aren't good friends. Colossians chapter 3. Since God has chose you to be the holy people he loves, clothe yourselves. See the choice here? To clothe ourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I mean, we could spend the rest of the year just trying that list. Every day of our lives to just have tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. There it is again. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, the action kind, not the emotion kind, so that you excuse me, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And then let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. If all you do is sit at home and rehearse what that person said or what that person did, or every, the peace of Christ will not rule in your heart. The offense will rule in your heart. But when you start praying for, blessing, doing good to, and you start taking captive those thoughts and replacing them with his thoughts, then you begin to overcome the negative emotion that comes along with the offense. 
But if you don't proactively do those other things, you're not going to overcome the emotion. Time does not heal all wounds. Okay? Time doesn't do it alone. You have to be proactive to heal those wounds, and it only comes through the Word of God. And so throughout the Scriptures, we're told our relationships with, with people on earth are tied to our relationship with God, and we're to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. So let's look at Him. Romans chapter 5 says, When we were helpless, Christ came at the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. For since our friendship was with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies. Now, Here's the thing, when you start talking about this and preaching on this, everyone's always like, well, what about this exception? And what about this exception? What about Hitler? And what about this? And what about that? Uh, How about let's not go to all the big exceptions and let's just for a time try to do what the Bible says. Okay, because I feel like we make all of these exceptions and it hasn't worked real well because the, the church is not known for the love of God. Now, the love of God is not soft on sin. Jesus clearly said to people, go and sin no more. Stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. He was very hard on sin. But he drew people because of his love and compassion. And the problem is we want to be tough on sin before we love the sinner. Mm -hmm. We read this at the beginning. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse us or harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. So why should we? Why should we? I'm not opposed to justice. I'm not opposed to people who commit crimes receiving justice for what they've done. There have to be laws. There has to be justice. He's a God of justice. But he's also a God of mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment, is what the word says. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to look at passages of scripture from Peter and from uh, James as we look at the tongue. But I wanted to show you a video today that I watched a few months ago, um, maybe, maybe two months ago. And as I watched it, uh, I had just a moment with Jesus on the couch. It was a Facebook video, and it's from Britain's Got Talent. Okay, if you've never seen the TV show, um, Britain's Got Talent, it's obviously filmed in Britain, and it's about people who come, and they perform their talent, and then they're judged, and if you get judged fairly by all the judges, then you get to go on to the next round. But there's a golden buzzer, okay? And if somebody, anybody of that judge panel deems you worthy of the golden buzzer, they can hit that thing and send you on. Now, unfortunately, the act that this guy performed, I didn't feel like I could show you. So we're just gonna pick up after his act, okay? He did some magic tricks and he used some alcohol and some other stuff. And so we just, we're gonna skip all that and we're just gonna look at what the judges had to say to him. So let's watch this. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> that is it. David. Well, what a brilliant way to present a magic trick. Because. I love 
where people push jokes as far as they possibly can go until they almost break. It was very funny, very entertaining. It was brilliant. Well done. Thank you. Amanda? Yeah, I mean, I really loved it. It was sort of silly how Tommy Cooper used to do it. You know, you're so distracted by you clowning and messing about that we're not paying attention to what you're actually doing, so therefore it's even more magical. I really love you. I think you're charming, I think you're funny, and you're kind of old school with a twist, which is absolutely perfect for Britain's Got Talent. Well done. I've got to be honest with you, Matthew. You know, when you started with that voice, I thought this is going to be really annoying. But actually, you are brilliant. I mean, really, really funny. And how old are you, 34, did you say? 34. Okay, I'm surprised you haven't had a break yet, Matthew, because you're really likable and nuts. Um, you've just got something about you, it's your energy. This is what we look for on these shows, people who've got star quality. I've just got a feeling about you. Good to know. It's good. Really good. I agree, Matthew. Love your passion and enthusiasm. Right, we're going to take a vote. David. Oh, they've got the vote. I'm going to say yes. Yeah, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. That. Of course Simon wasn't expecting that. Now here's the thing. They're strangers. And they're judging his performance. And what I loved about this was that Simon, who reality television, I don't know, I don't believe any of it's real. I think it's all staged. It's okay. But here's the thing. You know, the pause, the dramatic effect, because Simon's always the harsh one. And he says, you know, when you first started, my first impression was this is going to be really annoying. And how often do we let those first impressions cloud the rest of those people's lives? Our perception of that first moment keeps us from seeing the value in them from that moment on. And everything they're doing now from that moment on is playing catch up with us, trying to earn something with us. And I love the fact that the people from behind the curtain, somebody from out of nowhere had to just break protocol and go down and hit the button. I loved it. And I'm like, why can't the church do that? Why can't we act like that? You know, I just watched the, the movie about the, the kid with the deformed face. I can't remember the title of it, but... 
At the end of the movie, the whole standing ovation, and everybody needs a standing ovation sometime. How many people in your life need a standing ovation that you just don't give them? Your boss, I know your boss is cranky sometimes and maybe he's not the best boss in the world, but look at what he does for you. Maybe your parents, maybe your spouse. I mean, it's so easy to see the things that people aren't doing for us, but would someone just hit the button and just recognize what they are doing? We live in a culture that refuses to honor people. We in the kingdom of God are called to honor our parents, our teachers, our bosses, our coaches, our pastors, the clerk at the store, our peers. We are called to honor and respect them whether they deserve it or earn it. Whether they treat us with honor or not, we are never allowed to stoop from the level of honor in how we respond or react to people. We don't have to pretend they're nice. We don't have to flatter them with lies. We can speak truth in love. We can hit that button. So maybe we can hit the button when people do good things for us. But the question is, can we hit the golden buzzer for someone when their performance is poor? The church, by and large, is known for shooting our wounded. When people fail or make mistakes, we don't hit the golden buzzer for them. Oh, we hit a buzzer, all right, but it's not golden. And the fact is, we've lost sight of the fact that that cross was a golden buzzer for every one of us. And our performance was not worthy to be talked about. And that's what he's calling us to do. So that maybe the same light that you and I saw and we were drawn to the cross that others can see too. There are spiritual forces that are at work in our world. And the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, never pay back evil with more evil, but do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Not the person in front of you, you. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. See, all around us, there are spiritual forces at work. And I'm not saying that every person's behavior is... Um, caused by spiritual forces, but bad behavior empowers spiritual forces in, in a region, in a place. And so if you gossip, if you slander, if you abort a baby, if you, you know, whatever sin you do, you actually empower the spirits of darkness in that world. But when you want to overcome those spirits, number one, you pray, but number two, you do good. That's how you diffuse it. A soft answer turns away wrath. Why? Because it disarms the wraths, the spirit that's above it. Overcome evil with good. So why does Jesus say love your enemies? Pray for those who persecute you. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Because what you're doing, you're not just doing it to change the person. You're doing it to, to completely demolish the spiritual strongholds that are at work. 
so that that person then maybe can be able to come to their senses and see that they've been taken captive by the enemy to do his will. That's all grumpy, divisive people are, taken captive by the enemy to do his will. I want to give you just a couple things, and I know it's 1126, and I'm perfectly okay. <laughs> Meaning, I still plan to finish by 1130, and so, but I'm just going to give you these things. Here's the thing. We mistreat people, maybe for more reasons, but these are three reasons that I see that we mistreat people. One, we don't see their value. In other words, we don't see them as God sees. We see their performance, but we don't see their value. And so what we need to be doing is saying, God, help us to see as you see. Help me to see people beyond their performance, okay, and beyond my perceptions. Number two, we don't trust God. I mean, nothing in all creation is able to separate you from Christ's love. No, no mistreatment of, by any person on this planet, no demon itself can never separate you from the love of God. So if we're mistreating people because of what they've done to us or because of how we feel, we don't trust God to be our defender. That's, and so that's a problem. Or number three, we lack our own identity. When someone criticizes our performance or someone attacks our character, uh, we're trying to get our identity in what people think about us or in... Uh, our performance, and so because our identity is not rooted in the cross and it's not rooted in Christ, uh, we tend to lash out at people that attack whatever our identity is in, okay? So mistreatment, there may be more on the list. If you think of more, let me know. That'd be great. We'll add them to the list, but those are three that as I've studied it and looked through it, um, that's what's come to my heart. So a list to pray for in this week ahead, and then choosing the way of the kingdom, Jesus gave us these four things, and if you're going to overcome the hurts and the offenses that are going to come in your life in 2018, going to come maybe even before the end of January 1st, 2018, um, this is what you've got to do. You've got to pray for your enemies. You've got to pray for the people who mistreat you, and you've got to pray, not God get them. <laughs> you've got to pray what you want God to do for you, Okay. Listen, if whatever you would pray for God to do in your life or whatever you would pray for God to do in your kid's life, pray that for your enemies. And I'm going to tell you, it's a struggle. You're going you're gonna to be like, I feel so phony. I feel like I don't want to do this. It's okay because nowhere in the scripture does it say do what your emotions tell you to do. It says do what's right. Okay, so you do this because you are battling those emotions, and this is how you destroy them. So pray those things. You need to bless them. Bless them. You don't need to flatter them or lie. Okay, that's not blessing. But if speak God's word over them. They are God's child. Bless them. Find scriptures that you can bless them with. To their ears, in the, in the ears of everyone, walk into a conversation where someone is being gossiped about, and just start blessing them. <laughs> It'll diffuse it. It'll diffuse it. You don't have to even tell people they're doing it wrong. <laughs> just walk in and just start blessing the person that they're cursing. Some of you, I don't know if you, you believe me. I really want you to do that. <laughs> Everywhere you go at work, when you walk in the break room and they're talking about so-and-so and, -so and meh, 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 
start blessing so-and-so. So you've got to start making a list of blessings that you can speak over everybody. It's great. All right. The third one, do good to them. Do good to them. Find a way to serve them. Find a way to do something good for them. Send them flowers. Give them a gift. Shovel their driveway. I don't know. Do something good for your enemies. Excuse me. And the last one, love them. Lay down your lives for them. In other words, if you haven't gotten to the point where they have actually put you on a tree, keep going. Keep going. Now, I don't believe the Bible anywhere says that if people literally punch us in the face, we should stay there and let them punch us again. I don't think that's what Jesus meant. I don't think if you're in an abusive relationship, you should stay there. But I believe the posture of your heart should always remain in an honoring, blessing, loving position, even if there's justice to be done towards the person who has harmed you. Does that make sense? This is about the position of our hearts. And so I want to invite you to stand with me. I'm not going to ask you to respond today because I'm going to tell you everyone in this room needs to respond. We all do. Because none of us have perfected this thing with people. And none of us probably ever will, but we're just going to keep working at it. And we're going to continue to meet together and we're going to continue to encourage each other to do that. And so today, as I close in prayer, I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over all of us in this year ahead that God would raise up this church to be an example of this type of love in this area, that everyone's going to know that we're his disciples because of our love, because of how we treat people. We're not going to treat people the same way they treat us or worse than they treat us. We're going to treat everyone to a higher level than they treat us. And we're going to ask God for the grace that we need to do it because we know none of us is capable of it. And we're going to pray that prayer of blessing. And then at the end of the service, um, the prayer team is going to be here in the front. And if you want to be prayed for, maybe you're struggling with something and you just want someone to agree with you, we want to give you that opportunity to pray with you. Uh, I don't want to make light of the situations you're walking through. And so we want to give you the opportunity to respond if you want to respond uh, to the prayer team. And so, Father, I thank you that you demonstrated your love for us while we were your enemies. I thank you, Jesus, that you came to this earth and you gave yourself for us. I thank you that you demonstrated for us how we can live. And I pray that you would empower us today with the grace that we need to live out these words. God, we know that everything within our flesh rejects this message. God, this isn't human nature in any way, shape, or form. But God, we recognize it's you. It's your character. It's your nature. You've never treated us as our sins deserve. You are slow to become angry. You are full of love. You are merciful. And so God, we in this year ahead want to find out what it means that you desire mercy and not sacrifice. We want to be able to pray for and bless and do good for and love our enemies, those who mistreat us, those who hurt us. God, whether they do it intentionally or whether it's just our perception, Holy Spirit, give us the grace, the strength that we need. Help our identity to be so rooted in the cross, in who we are as your sons and daughters, God, that that nothing can, can get us off course. Help us to see the value in other people, God, even when they're acting in ways that everyone else can't get past how they're acting. God, help us to see the value of that person that you died for. God, I just pray, open our spiritual eyes to be able to encounter that in a fresh way in this year ahead. God, raise this body up 
as an example of love in this community and in this area, God, in this region, in the world, God, that people would know we're your disciples because of our love. So Holy Spirit, work this word deep in our hearts today and give us the grace to not be weary in doing what is good because we know that if we continue in it, we're going to reap a harvest if we do not give up. God, we trust you. We believe you for it. Now I pray your blessing over this body today. I pray that you would bless them. God, that you would cause your face to shine on them, that you would be gracious to this body in every way. God, that you'd lift up your countenance upon them and that you would fill them with your peace. God, your shalom in every area of their lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our prayer team is here in the front if you want prayer. If you don't, uh, if you need to be dismissed, just do it quietly. Let this be a place of prayer for those who want to spend some time in prayer. God bless you as you go. Don't forget worship night tonight at 7 o'clock. We hope to see you back. Joy that's all.